And we're going to go to the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 32, and verse 13 and 14. Deuteronomy is the fifth book of your Bible. And so while you find that, if you don't have it, a Bible with you, go ahead and you can look for it on your digital device. Or we'll have it on the screen here in just a moment. This morning I want to begin a new sermon series entitled, Taste the Grapes. And we're going to be talking about the promised land that God has for the believer. How many of you believe that there are better things yet to come? For the nation of Israel, the grapes represented the faithfulness and the fullness of God's promise in the promised land. And we read here in Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 13 and 14, a symbolic description of the life of those who walk with God. It says, He made them, or He made him, ride on the high places of the earth, and He ate the produce of the field, and He made him suck honey from the rock and oil from the flinty rock, curds of cows, and the milk of the flock with the fat of lambs, and the rams and the breed of Bashan, and goats with the finest of wheat. And with the blood of the grapes, he satisfied them. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you this morning for the powerful, manifest visitation of the Holy Spirit. We are in need every day of your presence. And so we pray now that you would come and speak to us by this, your holy, inspired word. And I ask that you would anoint my lips of clay to preach the word of the living God. And that you would anoint the hearing of this congregation that they might receive the word as seed sown in fertile soil. We ask this in Jesus' name, and the church said amen. 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 You may be seated this morning. Tell your neighbor, taste the grapes. The nation of Israel in this uh, moment, the book of Deuteronomy, is on the edge of the promised land. For 40 years they had been wandering in the wilderness and the book of Deuteronomy literally means the second law. This book was the statement of the prophet Moses of the law of Israel to the new generation of believers. You will recall that a generation came out of Egypt in the Exodus, a generation that because of their unbelief was forbidden from entering into the promised land. That generation had tasted the grapes when the spies brought the samples of the promised land to them, but they never entered the land because of the unbelief of their hearts. And so we discover that God said, I am going to forbid you from entering the land and I am going to wipe out this entire generation. But he said, I will raise up a new generation, a second generation, and this generation will believe me. This generation will trust me. This generation will uh, possess the land. And I, I am grateful to God that God always has a plan because many times we fail and uh, many times our faith fails, but God endures in his plan and his purpose for our life. And my prayer is for you that you will be one of these second generation believers, one of these believers who walks in faith and not in unbelief. And so now we have a new generation, and this new generation does not know the Word of God or the law of God. They were not 
Uh, they were not there or they were not old enough to know what was going on when Moses came out of Mount Sinai with the law. And so Moses brings to them in this book of Deuteronomy five sermons in which he restates to them the truths that have been found in the word of God and the, the law of God for them. And in this 32nd chapter, he sings to them what's called the Song of Moses. And he describes what it looks like to be a believer, someone who walks with God. He says a few things I want to point out as we go forward this morning. First of all, he says to them, God made him. I want you to focus for a moment on that word. And if you want to underline that in your Bible, you should go ahead and do that. Because that's a very important word. God made the nation of Israel. He chose them out of the pagan nations. He chose Abraham and made a nation out of him. And it is important for the people of God never to forget that we are a made people. That we are not self-made. That, that nobody in the kingdom pulls himself up from the bootstraps. But rather that we are made by the, the will and plan of God. The Bible said that God made us in his image, that it was in the creation. But we're also made into the spiritual life of the believer. We're made to be called sons and daughters of God. And I love the expression that Jesus uses when he called Peter into the ministry. And he said to Peter, follow me and I will make you a fisher of men. He was telling Peter, Peter, you're not going to make yourself a fisher of men. I am going to make you a fisher of men. And this is encouraging to me this morning because I know that I can't make myself. I can't make myself what God intends for me to be and you can't make yourself what God intends for you to be. The only way that you and I can be who God intended us to be is if we are made by the Spirit of God. And when God puts his hand on your life, he'll make you strong. He'll make you holy. He'll make you righteous. He'll make you a truth teller. Come on, somebody. He will make the difference in your life. So our prayer needs to be every day, Lord, make me. Make me that man that you want me to be. Make me that woman that you want me to be. Make me that child of God. Make me a better husband, a better wife, a better parent, a better employee. Make me, God, because I can't do this of myself. Only God can make a man. He said, I have made him, and this is what he said. He said, I have made him to ride on the high places. Listen, when you walk with God, you will walk on high places. God always brings you up. The call of God is always a call to greater things, to higher things. None of you here this morning who are walking with Jesus are walking on the same road where he found you. Say amen, somebody. Every one of us has experienced the upward move of the call of God in our life. Listen, I've never met anybody walk with God and end up worse than they were when he found them. Everyone God uses and touches and makes, he brings up. Come on, somebody. He takes us from glory to glory. And then he said, he said, I have made you not only to be walking on the high places, but I have given you the ability to suck honey out of a rock and to draw oil out of the flinty stone. You say, preacher, what in the world does that mean? Let me just sum it up for you real easy. It means this, that God allows you and I to draw sweet things out of hard places. 
I said, God helps you and I to draw sweet things out of hard times. Listen, you may be going through a hard time right now. It might seem like you can't squeeze anything out of that rock, but let God do the work and he will bring a sweetness out of the hard moments of your life. Come on, if you're going through a hard time, smile and keep going. Smile and press on because God is going to bring honey out of the rock for your life. And not only that, but he says you'll bring oil out of the rock. That means you'll have an anointing as a result of those hard and difficult places of your life. But then he says to him, he, he says to, to them, he says, I will cause you to be satisfied or to enjoy the taste of grapes. Now that's a simple thing, right? Because you and I could have grapes for lunch if we wanted to. We just go over to H-E-B, buy some grapes. But this people that Moses is talking about are talking to, they're in the wilderness. They haven't eaten grapes in 40 years. So for them, when they talk about grapes, it's an imagination. It's an idea. It's a concept. It's a, it's a, a vision of what God wants to do in their life. And, and I want you to know this morning that God wants you to taste the grapes. He doesn't want you just to imagine the grapes. He doesn't want you just to think about what might be. But he wants you to walk in the fullness of all that he has promised for your life. And he wants you to desire what he desires. You know that God desires increase for your life. God desires greater things for your life. Now, there might be some very sanctified person in here this morning saying, no, pastor, I have enough. God's blessed me enough. I don't need any more. I'm cool. But, but uh, they didn't come to church this morning, I think. I think the people in here are hungry for more. I said, I think the people in here might be hungry for more. You said, no, I don't need any more. Well, I do need more. Come on, somebody. I need more grace. I need more of the word. I need more spiritual fruit in my life. Come on, somebody. We need more of the gifts of the Spirit. We need more soul winning. I don't hear any amens. Uh, we need more answer to prayer, more salt, more light in our darkness. There's not anybody in here that doesn't need more of something. You might meet, need more love this morning. More joy, more peace, more patience, more kindness, more goodness, more loving kindness, more faithfulness, more gentleness, more self-control. Can anybody say amen to that? Bottom line is we need more of Jesus. We need more of Jesus. Come on, somebody. I said we need more of Jesus. Not more of Netflix, not more of Fox News. We need more of Jesus. And he wants you to have the abundance of the provision which he has made for your life. Now I want to point out three things that the grapes represent for the life of Israel and for your life and my life this morning. First of all, the grapes represent the goodness of God. Notice that God said you're going to taste the grapes. You're going to taste the sweetness of God. The goodness of God is a sweet thing. And every person in here, whether you are walking with God or not, has experienced the goodness of God. Listen, the fact that this morning you woke up and you weren't at the morgue, you are experiencing the goodness of God. Say amen, somebody. You ought to come to church singing, God is so good because you woke up this morning. 
When you and I hear of the grapes of God, or the grapes that God wants us to taste, we're listening to hearing an invitation to enjoy the goodness of God. Psalm 119, verse 68 says, The Lord is good, and he does good. Say amen, somebody. Psalm 145, verse 9, it says, The Lord is good to all, everyone, and experiences mercy. And his mercy is over all that he has made. James chapter 1, verse 17, it says, Every good and perfect gift comes from above, coming down from the Father of lights, from which there is no variation or shadow of turning. What does it say, preacher? It says, Every good and perfect gift comes from above. Listen, when you look around in your life and you see goodness, that goodness came from God. Listen, guys, if you turn around in bed and you see your wife there, you have to say, God is good. Because God gave me that lady. And, and ladies, if you, if you turn around and see your husband, you say, God is good. Why? Because every good and perfect gift comes from above. You say, no, preacher, that was my good looks. That was my fancy car. No, no, it wasn't. It was the goodness of God. Every good and perfect gift comes from above. So what does the Bible say? It says, therefore, taste and see that the Lord is good. Is there anybody in here who has tasted? I, I didn't hear you. I said, is anybody in here who has tasted? You see, because when you've tasted something good, no one has to invite you to talk about it. If you go to a good restaurant, you don't have to, you don't have to, Nobody has to ask you. The moment you're walking out the door, if someone's walking in, you say, it's going to be good. Guess what? God says, taste and see that the Lord is good. God is inviting you to taste of his goodness. And then the psalmist adds, furthermore, in Psalm 23, verse 6, he said, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Listen, I don't know if you know this or not, but this morning when you came to church, you were being followed. Tell your neighbor, you're being followed. Who's following me? Is it a stalker? Yes, yeah, a stalker of heaven. His name is goodness and mercy, and he is following you all the days of your life. I don't care where you go. If you go into a valley, he's followed you into the valley. If you go to the mountaintop, he's followed you into the mountaintop. Come on, somebody. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. When I go on a plane, it follows me on the plane. When I ride in a canoe in the Amazon, he follows me on the canoe in the Amazon. God has sent his goodness to track you down, to follow you, to chase you. But see, when we say taste the goodness of God, the grapes not only represent the fact that God is good, but it, all, it means that God is not only good, but he's the best. Say that with me. God is the best. Do you understand that? God is not just a good God. He's the best. He's the best of everything. The gospel is not just a good message. It's the best message. The name of Jesus is not just a good name. It's the best name. Come on, somebody. Because at that name, demons quake and disease flees because there is power and authority in that name. God wants you to enjoy the best of him. 
The Bible said that Jesus performed his first miracle at Cana of Galilee. And while he was there, they ran out of wine. And so they came to Jesus, and, and his first miracle was the converting of water into wine. Think about that. The first miracle was a promised land miracle. Jesus was letting us know that his ministry was about bringing sweetness into the life of those who walk with him. Listen, when, when Moses performed his first miracle, he turned water into blood because the law always brings judgment and wrath. But when grace showed up on the planet, grace brought sweetness, grace brought joy, grace brought hope. Come on, somebody. He turned the bitterness of your life into the sweetness of God. And do you know what they said at the party that night? They said as they were drinking that wine that Jesus had made, they said, this is the best wine. You have saved the best wine for last. Listen, God is not only the good, but he's the best. And the grapes that God has for your life are the best. That's why I want you to leave here this morning and know that greater things are coming. The best is yet to come. Come on, somebody. The best is yet to come. I want you to leave here knowing the best is yet to come for my family. The best is yet to come for my finances. The best is yet to come for my career. Come on, because I walk with God, and God has good things in store for me. We sang about it this morning, counting every blessing because surely in every season God is good to me can you say that with me this morning the best is yet to come say it again but this time say it like you believe it say the best is yet to come taste the grapes taste and see that the Lord is good now, the next thing the grapes represent is the grapes represent the fulfilled promises of God in the life of the believer. Now, look, we can get excited about promises, can't we? Well, three of you can. Do you love promises? Listen, the Bible is chock full of promises. If you just take the Bible and shake it, promises fall out. It's a promise book. It says, I will help you. God's promise to you. I will strengthen you. I will hold you. I will be with you in trouble. I will provide for you. I will protect you. I will make your word effective. I love you. I have called you. You are mine. I will be with you in trouble. On and on and on. We read of the promises of God. But listen, guys. The promise of God is not like a carrot on a stick to lead a burro to work. It's not God just trying to lead you along, trying to get you to heaven. No, the promises of God are far more than that. Listen, there are, there are empty promises and then there are Bible promises. And an empty promise is kind of like this. A kid says, Dad, you know, I really would like to go to Disneyland someday. I saw it on TV. It sounds really cool. And the dad says, yes, son, someday we might, if we can, Go to Disneyland. That's, a, that's an empty promise. There's not even enough faith in there to get out of Beeville. <laughs> and a lot of people, because really but what that is is wishful thinking. And a lot of people think God has given them wishful thoughts. 
Listen, when Peter uses the word promise in, in his letter, he's not using the word promise like a wishful thought, but rather he's using the word that means a decree. And this is what Peter says in, uh, in, in his letter, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 14. It says, God has granted in the scriptures all of his precious and magnificent promises so that we might become partakers of the divine nature. The word promise there is literally the word decree. When God makes a promise, he's not giving you a wishful thinking, but he's giving you a decree of a king. And listen, what does that mean? That means that what a king speaks happens. And let me just remind you, God is your king. Say amen, somebody. I said, God is your king, and when God speaks, what he says happens. So Peter says we have the many, the precious and magnificent decrees of God over your life. Your life is covered with the promises of God. And those promises are God's decree. And the grapes are when you and I in, enjoy and experience the fulfilled promises of God in our life. How many of you have ever experienced God fulfill a promise in your life? Now, I know you have, so I need you to do two things. I need you to raise your hand, and I need you to shout amen. amen. See, I knew you have experienced the promises of God, but there are still greater things to come. God has so many things he wants to do in your life, and the grapes are the fulfilled promises of God. He doesn't just want you to imagine what grapes taste like. He doesn't just want you to imagine what health tastes like. He doesn't just want you to imagine what sleeping all night tastes like. He doesn't just want you to imagine what debt freedom tastes like. Come on, somebody. He wants you to experience the fulfillment of his promises in your life. Now, the third thing that these grapes represent is that the grapes represent the covenant walk of the believer. When Jesus established the new covenant, the Bible said that the night before he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he took that bread and he broke it. And then he took the cup. And he said, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Now, there's a, a, a couple lawyers in here at least uh, this morning. So they can tell you all about covenants. But really, what is a covenant but a contract? Listen, Jesus said, this is a new contract. Now, if he said this is a new contract, that means there was an old contract. And the old contract was the law of Moses. And under the old contract, the way that you accessed God was by works. The way that you reached God was by fulfilling the legal requirements of the law, which nobody could do. Nobody could fulfill the terms of the agreement. And because no one could fulfill the terms of the agreement, then no one could taste the grapes. Because no one could enjoy the access to the king. But then Jesus came along. And Jesus fulfilled all of the terms of the old contracts. Amen, somebody. Jesus lived a perfect, sinless life. And then with his blood, he made a new contract. And the terms of this new contract are nothing short of amazing. Because while the old contract was a contract of law, this new covenant is a covenant of grace. 
And while the old contract was entered into by works, this new covenant is entered into by faith. What do I mean by that? I mean simply this. That if you can believe God, you can enjoy the grapes of God. You can enjoy the goodness of God. You can enjoy the blessing of God and the favor of God. The blood of Jesus, the Bible tells us, has made a new covenant. But not only that, it has made a better covenant. Told you it was the best. And not only that, but it has made an eternal covenant. That means that you and I have access to God by Jesus Christ forever if we will believe. Listen, if you want to experience the promised land, the only people that get to experience the promised land of God are people who walk by faith. The Bible says this, without faith, it is impossible to please God. You cannot enjoy the goodness of God if you're not walking by faith. And you cannot enjoy the promises of God fulfilled in your life if you aren't walking by faith. Faith is the coin of the realm. Faith is what is the currency of heaven. Everything we receive from God, friends, we receive by faith. Listen, if you are in sin this morning and you say, Preacher, I want to get right with God. I want to be a man of God, a woman of God. How do I do that? I'll tell you how you do that. You give your life to Christ in faith and he will wash you and save you and make you whole. And he'll change your life. And he'll make you the man you can't be on your own. Everything we receive from God is received by faith. We receive the baptism in the Holy Spirit by faith. We receive the, the ability to operate in the gifts of the Spirit by faith. We receive healing for our sick bodies by faith. We receive financial provision by faith. Come on. I'm talking about a God who has given us a key to enter in into the storehouse of heaven and receive the things he has made available to us. But those things are not received by your merits, by your good works, by how many services you've attended. Those things are received when you just believe God. Is there anybody in here this morning that believes God? Oh, that was a weak one right there. Is there anybody that believes God? Then I want you to walk out of here and know that God has provided extraordinary things for your life. Now here's the thing. I want to make clear to us this morning. The nation of Israel was made something by God. And God called them to taste the grapes. And God has called you to taste the grapes. He's called you to enjoy his goodness, his precious promises fulfilled in your life. And he's called you to enjoy covenant relationship with God. This is what the Bible says about the nation of Israel. In Exodus chapter 19 verse 5, God said, they are my treasured possession." God calls his people his treasure. And then in Exodus 19, 6, God says, uh, this, this is a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. He describes them as his treasure, and then he describes them as a holy nation, a separate people. Then in Deuteronomy chapter 4 and verse 20, he calls them my inheritance. And that one I, I choke on sometimes when I think about it. Because when I think about being, when I think about the fact that God is my inheritance, that's amazing. I got something and I had nothing. But when God says that he got me for an inheritance, I feel like God got shortchanged. But he says, that's the deal, Isaac. I have purchased you. I have purchased this church as my precious treasure, my inheritance. 
something special and unique to me. And then in Deuteronomy chapter 7 verse 6, he says that we are his prized possession. Now I want to explain just why most people never taste the grapes. It's right here in this truth. That God over and over, he tells Israel, you are precious, you're treasured, you're mine, you're my inheritance, you're holy. But Israel had a problem. They had this little phrase they kept using. They said, we want to be like the others. We want to be just like everybody else. Listen, if you want to be just like everybody else, that means you want to be sick, miserable, discouraged. Come on, somebody. Lost in sin, addicted, bound to your past, unable to move on. God pulled you out of that. I said, God pulled you out of that. He made you a peculiar people, something unique and precious to him. So I don't want anything to do with being like everybody else because I have seen what everybody else is like and I want to be this people that God has set apart for his own possession. Listen, in 1 Samuel, they came to God and they said, we want a king. Give us a king because we want to be like all the other nations. And what ended up happening was that they became like all the other nations. They became highly taxed overburdened, led by irresponsible leadership, and ultimately would lose the promise of God over the nation of Israel because they wanted to be like everybody else. They wanted the freedoms of the pagan. And then you read about Samson. And the Bible says that Delilah came to Samson in the book of Judges, and she said to, to Samson, uh, she said, Samson, stop Stop toying with me. Just tell me what is the secret of your strength. And he said to her, he said, well, he said, it's the thing. If you cut my hair, no razors ever touch my head. And if you cut my hair, I will be like all other men. Samson was saying what so many people are saying in our culture today. We want to be like everybody else. But what does that mean? That means no power, no strength, no victory. You become a slave to sin, a slave to vice, and, and a slave to corruption. And God says, I have a better life for you. I have a higher life for my people. Not to be living under the bondage of the enemy. And so today I challenge you with this word. If you want to taste the grapes, you've got to walk as God's peculiar people. I'm not just like everybody else. And I want to speak specifically to our young people because this is the group the enemy lies to the most. Listen, he wants you to live like the world lives, to think like the world thinks, to listen to what the world listens to, to watch what the world watches, to read what the world re reads. But you've got to remember, I'm a peculiar people. I have been called to a higher life, a life where I can enjoy the goodness of God and the grace of God. And, and so Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7 and verse 13, he says, enter through the narrow gate. Listen, if you want to enjoy the grapes, you have to enter through the narrow gate. What does that mean? That means that there is a way, the Bible says, Jesus speaking, he said, there is a way that is broad and permissive. It's wide. 
And it is a way that looks like it's having fun. And so many people get deceived. The Bible said it's a way that leads to destruction. The end thereof is destruction. If you want to walk like all the other men, you'll walk on the way that leads to destruction. Listen, be careful who you're listening to. Be careful who's telling you how to live your life. Because if they're not living it according to the word of God, I promise you, friend, they're leading you to the road that leads to hell. They're leading you on the, front, on the road that leads to bondage. Enter by the narrow gate. This gate is it's narrow. It's not very forgiving in terms of what it allows in. I kind of imagine the narrow gate is like when you park real close to another car at the mall. And then you look and you say, I think I can get out. And you squeeze the door open a little bit. And you get your foot through the door. Slide your way in. That's what God says. He says, you're going to have to enter through the narrow gate. This gate doesn't lead to, it doesn't allow for a whole lot of baggage. This gate doesn't allow for yesterday to come in, for sin to come in, for bondage to come in. Come on, somebody. This is the narrow gate. But this gate, listen, this gate leads to life. I said this gate leads to life. This gate leads to life. It leads to a table full of the goodness and the sweetness of God entered through the narrow gate. For narrow is the way that leads to life. And few there be that find it. You see, this is the picture the world paints. The broad way with a broad gate and at the end is a table full of all the promises of the world. But those promises are vanishing away. Every step you take closer to them, they get moved further away, further away, further away. And the promises of the world are like cotton candy. They're sweet for a moment, and then it's gone. But God says, taste and see. I am the flavor that lasts. I don't think you heard me. I said, God said, I am the flavor that lasts. I am the sweetness that lasts. I am the goodness that you're seeking. I am the honey out of the rock. I am the joy that your soul desires. Come on, somebody. Taste and see that the Lord, he is good. Bless his name and give him praise in his house this morning. I don't want to be like all the other men. I don't want to be like all the other nations. I want to be that man made by God. That man who enjoys the sweet savor of relationship with God. Would you stand with me this morning? Would you just take to heart what God has put before us as a church this morning. He says, Kingsway, I want you to taste the grapes. Maybe you say, Pastor, my mouth is filled with bitterness. It's, it's filled with yesterday's offenses and unforgiveness. 
come to Jesus. That didn't put a new taste in your mouth. Maybe you say, Pastor, my, my mouth is dry, parched, seeking satisfaction in empty things. Can I tell you, friend, come to Jesus. He alone can satisfy your soul. Today you say, Pastor, I, I don't know if God will take me. I don't know if God will receive me. You say, Preacher, I, you don't know where I've been. You don't know what I've done. You don't know how I've fallen. Friend, it doesn't matter any of that. What matters is this. Jesus died on the cross to make a new deal between you and God. He shed his blood so that you could have access to God by faith. And if you'll just believe that this morning, you can have eternal life that he promises. You can have the joy that he promises. Now, I want to make two altar calls this morning. The first one is for you, friend, that says, Pastor, I have never given my life to Jesus. I have never given my heart to Christ. And this morning, I need to do that. I want to leave this church knowing that I'm saved if that's you this morning, I want to pray for you. And then I want to invite you to come. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray that if there's anyone within the sound of my voice this morning who doesn't know Jesus as their Savior, I pray this morning that you would draw them to yourself. Holy Spirit, draw them, convict them of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. I pray, God, that you would manifest yourself to them. Don't let them leave this place without making a commitment of their heart to Christ. We ask that in Jesus' name. If you are out there and you say, Preacher, I want to I know Jesus. I want to give my life to Christ this morning. I want you right where you are just to raise your hand if that's you. Anybody out there this morning that says, I haven't yet made a commitment of my life to Christ. Don't leave this place without knowing Jesus. Because he is the goodness of God. If that's you, just raise your hand right where you are. We want to pray for you. This next invitation is for all of you in the body of Christ who would say, Pastor, I know there's better things for my life, but there's some things that have been hindering my ability to enjoy the goodness of God. Maybe it's the wrong perspective. Maybe you've been having your eye on the wrong thing. Today God says, Come. Whatever you need is on the table this morning. Come and taste my goodness. You say, Pastor, there's a promise over my life. I want to see it fulfilled. I want you to come into this altar in faith. As we worship the Lord these, this, uh, for a few more moments, if that's you this morning, come. Come in faith. If you're waiting and expecting for something from God this morning, come and taste and see that the Lord, He is good. Come and give that issue to Him. And watch him work. Trust him with it. You say, Pastor, I want better things for my life. Better things for my marriage. Better things for my family. Come and taste. Come and say, Lord, I want to walk with you. I believe you. Come on, engage your faith this morning. Trust him. Believe him. Watch him work.